0: It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Monday, July 13, 2020. On today's episode, Kathy Diamond is here with her book review. Today, she's going to be speaking about the book, The Leavers, by Lisa Ko. On a musical moment with Farah Mohammed, our music librarian, Farah Mohammed will be speaking about the theme, Boogie Fever. This is an encore presentation, but we think you'll enjoy hearing it again on this day in history on july 13 1865 there was a spectacular fire uh, in manhattan witnessed by thousands of new yorkers pt barnum's american museum in downtown manhattan mysteriously burned to the ground uh, the five-story building was at broadway and anne street and at the time it was called the most visited place in america now this Fire happens uh, very soon after the end of the Civil War, just to put it in the historical context. And that museum housed something completely new that nobody had ever done before. It was an array of artifacts and oddities and uh, even creatures, uh, animals. Um, and it had been this incredible hit since opening in 1841, about uh, 25 or so years earlier. Now, this fire was captured uh, on film, or a dramatization of this fire, I should say, was captured on film in the 2017 movie by Hugh Jackman called The Greatest Showman, which of course was about the life of P.T. Barnum. Now, if you have kids or grandkids, they can probably tell you all about this fire and all sorts of other facts about P.T. Barnum and Jenny Lind and anything associated with that because this was an extremely popular movie, The Greatest Showman. Your kids have seen it, your grandkids have seen it. Ask them about it. They'll love talking about it. And they'll love singing you the songs from the movie. Maybe you'll enjoy it too. That was This Day in History. Here is Kathy Diamond to talk about The Leavers by Lisa Ko.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Kathy Diamond on behalf of the Eleanor London Colt St. Luke Public Libraries Monday Well, used to be Monday Morning Book Club, now Monday Afternoon Monthly Book Club, here to talk about a book. This month's book is entitled The Leavers, spelled L-E-A-V-E-R-S, and the author of the book is Lisa Coe. The Leavers was the winner of the 2016 Penn Bellwether Prize, established back in 2000, by American writer Barbara Kingsolver, to promote fiction that addresses issues of social justice. And if you've ever read any of Barbara Kingsolver's fiction, you'll know what a large part social issues play in her work. Readers of fiction read for different reasons, entertainment, escapism, wanting to learn about the world and its inhabitants, but through a fictional setting. One can ask the questions of whether fiction has to be relevant. Should it be relevant or should it be Timeless have a timeless quality to it. That means that it doesn't matter if the period you're writing about um, takes place it was a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago. That a good fiction should be able to address different time periods. Should fiction aim to put a human face on issues of the day? And if that is so, is it enough just to discuss issues of the day? Or should fiction somehow do more? Should it be activism, social activism? Lisa Ko's debut novel, the one that we're talking about today, The Leavers, brings these perennial questions to mind. Her book centers on a Chinese boy named Deming Go. And Deming Go, when we meet him, is 11 years old And his mother, Paylan, or Polly, as she's known in New York where they live, leaves for work one day. She works in a nail salon in New York City and she never comes home. Deming is left. He has no idea what happens to his mother. And he is eventually adopted by a white family. A white family who live, two academics, an academic couple who were unable to have children of their own, who live five hours north of New York City in upstate New York. They take him, they adopt him, they give him a different name. He has been rechristened as Daniel and they give him their last name. So Deming Go becomes Daniel Wilkinson. And in the decade following his adoption, after his mother has left and he has no idea what happens to his mother, this young boy who grows into a young man tries to assimilate to his new life. His new life as this Daniel Wilkinson, living in a small in a small community in upstate New York, in a very white, non-Asian community while still searching for information about his birth mother. And so this story is told, the novel is told, the way the author has set it up, is told in four parts. The first is from the viewpoint of 11-year-old Deming, who, whose mother, as I said, goes to work one day and doesn't come back and There is no information that anyone has about her. And he is then, um, and this young Deming, before he is adopted, he lives for a short while with, as he has been living when he lived with his mother and his mother's boyfriend Leon, and Leon's sister and her son Michael, who is a boy of Deming's age. The four of them, sorry, the five of them, had been living together in an apartment in the Bronx, and this makeshift family had been a happy one, happy that it until Polly disappears and young Deming is her son who who feels totally abandoned is trying to figure out what happened and what happened to his mother and that's the main story of the book most of the book is written from the point of view of Deming Daniel who becomes Daniel later on with parts of it Told from Polly, his mother, Palin, or Polly, from her point of view as well. But as I said, the majority of the story is told through the through the viewpoint of the young boy, the, the young the young boy who becomes young man. The reader is therefore, because because most of the story is throw, told through Deming or Daniel's eyes, that. We, the readers, are led by Deming's judgments and thoughts, and it's only when Polly, his mother's, parallel narration comes into play in the book, in the second part, in which she addresses her son in a second-person narrative, that the facts of her disappearance begin to unspool. Meanwhile, Deming blames both himself for his mother's disappearance, he has these feelings, alternate feelings of anger towards her and guilt at himself that it must have been something that he did that made his mother disappear. Otherwise, why would his mother one day pick up and leave and they would never hear from her again because the boyfriend doesn't know what happened to her. Nobody knows what happens to her. Um, And in his mind, Deming is building a case against her um, as well as longing for her throughout his teen years until at the age of 21 he gets a, a bit of information about her that comes via Michael, this, this young boy with whom he, they had been living with for, for five years in the Bronx. And at 21, Deming finally sets off to try and find his mother because of the new information he has as to her whereabouts. She always wanted a better life elsewhere Deming remembers and what turns out to be the story of his mother his mother Palin was born in a small backwater provincial town in China. Her, her own mother dies when she was very young. She's brought up by her father, who is a fisherman who struggles to make a living. Uh, but life is like that in this village that Pei Lin is born into. But Pei Lin herself is a very, is a feisty and rebellious and very strong-willed young girl and at the age of, at a young age, when she's still only a teenager, she herself leaves her father, and you have this title, this the leavers. She leaves her father and her village, and she sets off to find, well, maybe not fame, but a bit of fortune, in the nearest big city. She goes to work in a factory, as do so many other, um, it seems, Chinese people who lived in these small villages. And she starts, to, she goes to work in a factory. She has a boyfriend of sorts who is the neighbor from back in her village. And one day she realizes that, hmm, it's possible that she is pregnant. And it turns out that, yes, she has become pregnant by this neighbor from back in her small village. But meanwhile, she is in this town, in in this bigger city in China, and she has no intention of wanting to go back to the town to marry the boyfriend, which she easily could have. And so what does she do, this very strong-willed and feisty young girl? At the age of 19, when she, when she finds herself pregnant in China, she finds out that if you pay... Somewhat, if you pay a smuggler enough money, and it turns out that it's fifty thousand dollars, you can. The smuggler will get you to America, America, the golden land where things where one has the chance of a better future. So this is what this is what Palin does. She finds a smuggler, pays the fifty thousand dollars, which is a debt that she has to then spend years repaying, um, and lands in America. She tries to get rid of the baby because she doesn't want a child. She is there all alone and she is about to set out on this adventure. But when she gets to the hospital, she's told that, no, at seven months we don't do abortions. And she has the baby. The baby is her little son, Deming, who she tries to take care of as best she can. But it's really practically impossible because she has to go to work in a factory every day. She finds somebody to help look after the baby, but that doesn't last long. She brings tries to bring the baby to work in this factory where she is sewing hems on jeans, um, but that also doesn't last very long. And eventually she sends Deming back to China, to her father, who looks after him for the next six years, five or six years. When Deming's grandfather, Palin's father dies, then Deming comes back to New York to live with his mother. Um, He moves in, and then his mother by now has this boyfriend, Leon. They live together, as I said before, in an apartment in the Bronx with Leon's sister and her son, Michael, who becomes like a brother to Deming. And all seems, I mean, both, both... Deming's mother, Polly, who's by now Polly and working in a nail salon, and her boyfriend, Leon, who works in a slaughterhouse, they work very hard, but they're managing. And their makeshift family is happy until the day that Polly disappears, when she goes off to work one day in the nail salon and doesn't come home. Has she simply moved to Florida for a better job, which is what she had been telling Deming that she wanted to do? And Deming had insisted that he didn't want to move with his mother. But would she really do that? Would she really leave him as a result just because she felt that she had to leave again and move on? Why does she never call? And why does Leon The boyfriend, her, her, his mother's boyfriend, disappears shortly after that. These are all the questions that that remain with us, the readers, to be solved, and ones that Deming would like to know the answer to. Eventually, Deming is adopted by a well-meaning couple by name of Kay and Peter Wilkinson, who live in a small, very white. Upstate New York community they are both academics and they have a, there's a there 's a big emphasis on education and academics with them. Deming is not a good student he was, wasn 't a good student when we met him when he was eleven years old, and he still hasn 't acquired um, a, a penchant for learning music and guitar playing, however, are very important to him so now, as Daniel Wilkinson, the former Deming go tries to assimilate, tries to figure out how to make, um, how to deal with life in this very white community where he stands out as an Asian. In moments of frustration, his adopted parents remind Daniel how much they are doing for him and how grateful he should be. Then the story takes a turn when out of the blue, Daniel Deming hears from Michael. Remember Michael was the boy who the the son of um, his mother's boyfriends who, when they lived together in the Bronx, and this bit of information, this email from Michael, which says to him, "Deming, if this is really you, Daniel Deming, I'm looking for a deming go." because I have information about your mother. Please contact me. So Deming does this. And then he goes back to soon enough, he is headed back to China to try to solve the mysteries of his life and of his mother's disappearance. The book is very thoroughly researched, researched, It's and and the author has said in an interview, she said that it took her ten years to write this novel. This is her debut novel, the first novel. She said, I wrote my first story when I was five years old, and this novel was published when I was 41. So I've been practicing and writing for quite a while, says Lisa Ko. It is ambitious in scope because it spans New York City and China. And it skillfully depicts the many worlds that Deming's life encompasses. As he switches cultures and milieus, the author has to tackle these different, these different cultures and milieus. From the Deming and the Pei Lin China and Chinese background to the Polly and the Daniel try-to-be-American culture. Co. also tackles the school scene. She describes Deming's school when he's Deming back in PS 33 when he lives in the Bronx, as well as the middle school and high school up in upstate New York when Deming is adopted and becomes Daniel. She also Draw, the author also draws in great detail the music scene that Deming becomes part of, life in the Bronx and upstate New York, not to mention when Daniel goes to China and also the parts when Palin or Polly goes back to China. So we get Fuzu and Beijing in China as well as Bronx and upstate New York. She, the author, draws on our sympathies. It is impossible not to root for a boy so unmoored by circumstance. I mean, here's a boy who, who's living, first he's, in, he's born in America, sent back to China to live with a the grandfather, then sent back to America where he's happy, happily living with his mother until one day when he's 11 years old, his mother disappears. And he's left. And that he's adopted by these kindly white Americans who do their best to to give him love and a stable home, but in their in their um, despite their liberal do good impulses, they are not able to understand what it's like for this very asian looking child to be living in this in their lily white upstate New York community. And Coe does not mock the Wilkinsons, those are Daniel's adoptive parents, their liberal do-good impulses. She doesn't mock them, but she more subtly, or maybe not so subtly, critiques them. Their hope, which is well-meaning but condescending, is to rehabilitate their Daniel into middle-class life they wanted him to succeed, writes Co, in ways that were important to them because it would mean that they had succeeded too. And yet it doesn't work out quite the way they wanted it to because no matter how hard they try, Daniel's status in this very WASP suburb or small community as the only Chinese boy in his school, no matter what, he somehow becomes the victim of subtle and not so subtle racist bigotry. As Co writes, in the city, he had just been another kid. He had never known how exhausting it was to be conspicuous because he's very conspicuous up there in upstate New York. The emotional chaos that's wreaked by Deming's, Daniel's, cultural displacement is vividly drawn. I am Daniel Wilkinson, he tells himself, although he clutches internally to Deming. And he returns to the memory of his mother as a path back to his former whole self. If only, he thinks, he could just talk to his mother in person, maybe he could figure out who he should be and this is the this is the this is the the sadness this is the the tragedy of this story of this young boy young man who has been adopted by a kind well-meaning family and yet never quite finds himself comfortable or at home there. And so then when he gets further in, when further information becomes available about his mother, he sets out to find her. We, the readers, only know her from the chapters that the author gives us from, from her point of view, from Polly, the mother's point of view. And I think that those chapters, for me at least, were the most interesting ones of the story. The chapters about Deming when he was young were interesting, but then there was a lot of writing about Deming. Deming the teenager and Deming the young the young man who's attempting, because music continues to be his passion, not academics, much to the dismay of his adoptive parents who really are not so happy that Deming never does well in school and he, he graduates high school, but he's not interested in continuing college. He really wants to play music. And he goes to New York City. He goes back to New York. He lives in Brooklyn. Um, he tries to make it on the music scene there, which is something that's not easy for him to do but the and and but those chapters are very much detailed and i tended to find them a bit too much a bit too much description in that part of the story I wish that there would have been more told from Polly from Palin's point of view because we find out that she has gone back to China I won't tell you the details of that for those of you who haven't read the book she goes she's back in China and she has made quite a life for herself why she hasn't got in touch with her son all those years that's something else but she uh, but she is such an interesting feisty character one who doesn't seem to be satisfied with staying in one place. And so the title of the book, The Leavers, as I say, L-E-A-V-E-R-S, Those Who Leave, applies of course very clearly to to Palin, to Polly, to to Deming's mother. Um, and after, after we come to the end of the book, we realize that Deming himself also has to come to terms with this idea of what it means to leave and what it means to stay. Not only what it meant to his mother and why she left and why she couldn't stay, but also to Deming Daniel, who becomes probably Deming again uh, towards the end of the story, is to figure out who he is, where he should live, what he has to leave and what he has to come back to. This is a very compelling story about a boy and about her, uh, about a son and about his mother, a woman who it turns out has done a lot of things wrong, a lot of things right as well, but has lived life the way that she best could, given her personality, her kind of character. And this story, just to let you know, the story was based on an article that the author of the book saw read in the New York Times in 2009 about a the, told the story about of a woman, a young a Chinese woman who had had um, who was stopped by immigration agents in two thousand. It was in two thousand and nine, while taking a bus from New York City to Florida. And when the New York Times reporter found her, she had been kept in an immigration, she'd been held in an immigration detention center for over a year. And this story inspired the author. She was very taken by this. And she said that I based my character, Polly, very loosely on the character that I read about, on the woman I read about in this article. And then, because I'm a writer of fiction, I gave her an 11-year-old son, Deming, a home in the Bronx, a job at a nail salon. And one morning she leaves for work and she never comes home. Polly's voice, her hustle, her journey, and as I said, she paid $50,000 to be smuggled into the United States in a box. The author said, came to me all in a flash. But I also had to go, says Lisa Ko, to China to look for myself and the author as she is of Chinese heritage but she'd never she was born in America she'd never been to China she went to China because her narrative when she was writing the story had been stalled and she was very concerned about not misrepresenting China so she traveled to China she went to Fuzhou the province where where Polly her main character comes from and, and and did a lot of research and walked around and met people and then went back to New York and continued to write the story. She says... "'Gradually, I realized that the crux of my novel "'lay not just in Polly, but also in Polly's son, Deming. "'I needed to tell both stories. "'I decided to intersperse Deming's story "'of being adopted by a white couple "'and moved upstate with Polly's story "'of why she left China in her early years um, in New York "'and what happens after her separation from him.'" It's Deming's search for his mother that is the heart of this story, the heart of my book, The Leavers. The Leavers is my effort, concludes Lisa Ho, to go beyond the news articles using real-life details as a template to build from but not to adhere to. It's the story behind the story, a tribute to the sweat, heart, and grind of immigrants in America. But it really is the story of one mother and her son, what brings them together and what takes them apart, says Lisa Coe. The Leavers has won critical praise for its Underlying themes of displacement and deportation. These themes carry deep resonance in America, but beyond America as well. This book could be relevant to people who live in any country with large immigrant and illegal immigrant, or shall we say, undocumented immigrant populations. Co movingly captures Polly and Deming's presence in the immigrant community, on the margins of society, in overcrowded apartments, in nail parlors, and in factories. These people who form a not insignificant part of the population of the Western world these days. Thank you very much, and hoping to he- be with you again next month.
2: Hello. And welcome to A Musical Moment. My name is Farah Mohammed, and my topic today is a timely one. I call it Boogie Fever. As life has been turned completely upside down for all of us, it brings to mind that the world had fallen victim to the ravages of many other plagues and pandemics throughout the centuries, from prehistoric times to today. Take, for example, the Black Death that happened in Europe in 1348. Because it was so widespread, it caused great panic. But interestingly enough, reactions to the crisis varied. Some chose to repent for their sins, and some chose to carry lucky charms with them to ward off the disease. Others abandoned religion entirely, instead leading lives of merriment. Indulging in the pleasures of life, these people sought parties wherever they could. Pleasantries, such as drinking fine wines and making music, became steadfast distractions against the gruesomeness of the plague. Strangely enough, as chaos ensued, musical forms began to flourish. Composers explored new kinds of secular songs like the ballad, Verlée, and Rondeau. These secular songs became an important and permanent part of the social fabric of European life. Music brought great joy throughout these dark times. So let's hear one of these songs. One composer who successfully isolated himself during the plague was Guillaume de Machaut, who lived from 1300 to 1377 in France, here is what a fourteenth century French virlet sounds like. Excerpt of Danse Macabre by Camille Saint-Saëns. Though originally composed for full orchestra in 1874, I want to play an excerpt of this piece as a piano arrangement, and it is fiendishly difficult. Usually associated with Halloween, this story describes the grim reaper dancing vigorously with the souls he has freed at midnight. Another fiendishly difficult piece to play is the Devil's Trill Sonata by Giuseppe Tartini. Tartini, who was a Baroque composer, composed this piece in 1799. Now, legend has it that Tartini had dreamt that the devil had appeared to him and had asked to be Tartini's servant and teacher. At the end of a music lesson, Tartini handed the devil his violin to test his skill in which the devil began to play with virtuosity, delivering an intense and magnificent performance. So singularly beautiful and executed with such superior taste and precision was the devil's performance that the composer felt his breath taken away. So let's take a listen to the Devil's Trill Sonata and listen for all the trills and ornaments that are played by the violinist. different, let's hear an Italian song called a tarantella. A tarantella is a folk dance characterized by a fast, upbeat tempo and is usually accompanied by tambourines. It is among the most recognized forms of traditional southern Italian music. In the Italian province of Taranto, the bite of a locally common type of wolf spider named tarantula was popularly believed to be highly venomous. If you were bitten by this spider, you would have to start dancing vigorously to cure yourself from this venomous bite. So let's take a listen to this Tarantella.
3: Brasileiro, Itália
2: Now, here's a sultry number called Fever, written by Eddie Cooley and Otis Blackwell. It was originally recorded by American R&B singer Little Willie John. However, it became most closely associated with American jazz and pop singer Peggy Lee, whose rendition became the most widely known version and became her signature song. So let's take a listen to Fever.
4: Never know how much I love you. Never know how much I care When you put your arms around me I get a fever that's so hard to bear You give me fever When you kiss me fever When you hold me tight Fever In the morning a Fever all through the night Sun lights up the daytime he said, Julie baby, you're my flame, thou givest fever when we kiss it, fever with thy flaming use Fever, I'm a fire. Fever, yea, I burn for sooth Captain Smith and Pocahontas.
2: For my last number, I bring to you Candela Candela by the Buena Vista Social Club. Recently discovered by American guitarist Roy Cooter in 1997, this group of Cuban musicians was instantly catapulted into stratospheric heights with their wildly popular self-titled album. Here is Candela Candela, a toe-tapping, body-shaking number. Oh, fire, 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 I'm burning. It is definitely most difficult to sit still with this number. enjoyed my selection today and of course it goes without saying that no matter how dire circumstances may be music always has the ability to make things more bearable by bringing much joy to the soul take good care and bye for now
0: well that is today's episode of the code st luke telephone broadcasting service and podcast thank you to our guests and thank you to you for tuning in today If you're listening on the 2 p.m. call-in, we have another special item for you. Have a great day.